So one of the worst parts, in my opinion, of running a practice myself was trying to figure out super bills and trying to keep track of super bills as well. Here's what I would get. Nobody would tell me they want a super bill. And then six months later, I'd get an email letting me know they needed six super bills so they could submit for out of network reimbursement. And I had to go back in and try to figure out what I saw them for and put everything together correctly for them. This is where a company like PT Everywhere solves this problem and creates a ton of time freedom for me. All of the super bills for anybody that we see within this platform with our local practice is housed within their member portal. So they actually can access it themselves. We can see it. We can print it off with one click. You know, we can actually track all their payments, their memberships, their packages that they have and send them out anything they need from a documentation standpoint, all in one simple, easy to track place. This saves a ton of time and it's really made it seamless for us to be able to have better communication on the reimbursement side with our clients that are requesting it. So if you are in practice for yourself, you're thinking about going into a cash practice, I highly recommend Heading over to pteverywhere.com, checking out what they got going on because it has helped us a ton. We use it personally, and I highly recommend that you use it within your practice as well. So here's the question. How do physical therapists like us, who don't want to see 30 patients a day, who don't want to work home health, and have real student loans, create a career and life for ourselves that we've always dreamed about? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. My name is Danny Matei. And welcome to the PT Entrepreneur Podcast. Hey, what's going on, guys? Doc Danny here with the PT Entrepreneur Podcast. And today, you might want to get a a pen and paper out. You might want to take some notes because we're diving into a topic that I have kind of held off on on the podcast um, partially because I don't want to confuse anybody, uh, but we're going to talk about some investing. And uh, anytime you say investing, people <laughs> feels they they perk up. They're like, "Oh, this is going to tell me what to invest in." Right? <laughs> like, just tell me what to do with my money so that I'll become rich is what most people think of when we talk investing. But really, investing is just understanding some basic financial principles in regards to um, how money works, how to leverage. Uh, debt properly, um, what kind of debt is good, what kind of debt is bad, how to look at some basic numbers, uh, and places where you can start to generate some uh, investment uh, revenue uh, aside from your active revenue. So I'm going to try to keep this simple. I'm going to try to keep this brief-ish. But if you like this episode and you want to hear more about stuff like this, um, let me know. Uh, take a, a screenshot of this, sh- you know, share it on your uh, your Instagram uh, page or Instagram handle. Um, that's the easiest place for me to see it. I see that anytime I see that a lot of stuff is getting shared. I know the topic is sort of relevant. Um, so if you like this, <clears throat> share it on Instagram. I'll see it. Make sure you tag it, you know, tag me in it in your story. <clears throat> Excuse me, and. Uh, and make sure to do more of these. In fact, Jared uh, Moon, my business partner, uh, and I are, are, are thinking about doing a whole series on talking about money uh, and, and going a little deeper on on money because I think it's one of those things that uh, most people just have a very poor understanding of uh, and relationship with. And what I want to talk to you today about is the difference between cash flow and accumulation. Now, the backstory to this is <clears throat> I recently had a conversation with one of our mastermind members. And, um, he's, he's doing really well. You know, he's, he's, his business is growing. He's got, you know, really solid goals. Um, and we were talking to him at his, uh, his, his year end, 
uh, called me uh, as he was, you know, uh, renewing to to jump in the second year in our mastermind. Um, I asked him, I said, well, you know, what's your what's your big financial goal? And he said, I want to have a million dollars in my bank account. And I said, okay, cool. Like a million dollars cash. Like what, what, what is the significance of that? And, you know, for him, it was, if that amount of money, I would feel like, you know, I'm like financially free, uh, and I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, things happening. He's got a couple kids and I know he's in business for himself. His wife, um, works in the business as well. And, um, so I kind of laughed a little bit, uh, because it reminded me of myself so much, uh, up until a few years ago, as I started to really dive into, um, financial education and the understanding the idea of accumulation versus cash flow. because, um, backstory for me, you know, I started a Roth IRA when I was like 17 years old. Um, I, I literally, it was a lifeguard and I'd made a decent amount of money that summer, uh, working, you know, the whole summer. And I just didn't want to pay taxes on it, <laughs> honestly. So I went, I went to what was Wachovia at the time, which is now Wells Fargo. Um, and I sat down with one of their, uh, I guess, I don't know, one of their bankers. And I was like, Hey, here's the deal. You know, I, this is how much I made. Um, I don't really want to pay taxes on this. So can I, I've heard that you can put these things into like retirement accounts and then you can avoid paying taxes. And she kind of laughed when I brought this up and you know, I, I think I was going to actually only have to pay taxes on like $2,000 of income because of how much I had made, like a good portion of that is not taxed. Uh, there, you know, you, you have deductions that you can just, um, claim. And so she recommended, she was like, look, you're not going to pay much tax on this anyway. You're better off putting this in a Roth IRA because you're paying taxes before you know, you're paying taxes now. And then when you take it out, it'll be tax free, which is, which is true. So to in at 17 years old, I started uh, contributing to a Roth IRA. And I continued to do so until I was, um, man, 29 years old when I started my business. And I completely stopped doing it at that time based on advice from a mentor of mine that basically said, Hey, your, your business is your most important asset and your most important investment right now. You need to take everything that you would be investing in, you know, for retirement savings. You need to put it towards your own, uh, skills and in your business, because you know, the amount of uh, change you can have there is significant in comparison to any business or mutual fund that you could put money into. And uh, quite possibly the, the best financial advice I've ever been given. And I'm so thankful that I got that advice uh, from this person because they're very right. And starting our business is the most you know uh, beneficial financial thing that we've ever done. On paper, it's a lot of active uh, active income. We're actively working in it. Right. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the common methodology though, and what I started with was, okay, well, let me just make sure I get this much money in and based on compounding interest, uh, you know, it will be this much whenever I'm 65 years old. Right. So I would just accumulate a bunch of, um, money in these government, uh, regulated retirement vehicles. And, um, once I'm there, then I have financial security, right? Well, the difference, you know, in the last few years from uh, what I've learned and, and delved into is, um, the, the idea of comparison of accumulation and cash flow. And, uh, this is what we actually talked, talked to this person about on the phone. Um, uh, not, I don't think this is the direction they expected the conversation to go, but this is where it went. And I, thought this would be relevant to share with you guys as well. And this was something that really had a massive shift for me in terms of the way I was looking at, uh, investing and also realizing that I couldn't just be 
a passive investor and just say, oh, here you go, mutual fund, or here you go, you know, whatever 401k plan, or here you go, guy that's supposed to manage my money. Uh, like I went to a uh, financial advisor that was recommended by our CPA. Um, and I sat down, Ashley and I uh, talked to this lady, super nice, insanely nice office in downtown Atlanta, right? She's telling us all the these customized mutual fund plans that they have and all this stuff and how they, you know, all the stuff that they do. And it's a, there's a management fee of assets under management. Um, and what I thought was a bit weird and unfair was that the percentage is the same, no matter what, if we, let's say our, our portfolio goes up, you know, to from $50,000 to a hundred thousand dollars in, in a year, then, I mean, they charge the same management fee, uh, no matter what, if it goes down from a hundred to 50, they still charge the same management fee, right? So it's, it's, it's and it, and it grows, uh, as your uh, portfolio grows as your net income and your, and essentially your wealth grows, right? So if you're paying a, a per, small percentage of not a lot of money at that time, they make a lot of it on the back end as that is accumulated and grown. And they're basically putting these things into these, um, these other vehicles of mutual funds, which are groupings of companies essentially. Um, and they have fees associated with them and, and, uh, but it allows you to diversify, which is kind of what we hear all the time, right? Just put your money in this diversified portfolio and just wait. Well, that, that might be true that there's definitely returns that happen there, right? Long-term that's true. And when we, we look at the average rate of return in the stock market, you know, people will say it's you know eight to 9%, whatever. Um, and, and that's right. But you also have to account for these massive dips that occur and the stress on that person. And as well as the likelihood that people will make bad decisions by pulling money and moving money around and they will lose out on the average of where it's supposed to be. So that's the average, assuming you did what you're supposed to do in the stock market. Here, here's the other thing that is uh, frustrating about that approach of just handing it off to somebody else and accumulating is you literally have no control really over what's happening with that. You have no control. I mean, you can pick these funds, you could pick individual stocks if you want to do that, but you still have no control over what that company decides to do or how they run their company or anything, right? So you give up massive amounts of control because you lack the desire to learn how to invest like I did for so many years. And the reason why I bring this up to you now is because I've spent the better part of the last two to three years learning about finance, learning about tax, learning about investing. <clears throat> My role at this point has really changed where, you know, we're mentoring many other businesses. And this is a huge part of the creation of long-term wealth and in particular generational family changing wealth, which is what we want all the people that we work with to be able to achieve. And that comes down to understanding finance, <clears throat> understanding what to do with the active income that you're, that you're making. So back to accumulation, this idea of accumulation. So I was on this path, right? Started at 17 investing in a Roth IRA and you know, you, you see this number is going up, right? It's, <clears throat> you see your returns, you see how much you're putting into it, all of that, but it's not actually paying you any money each month. So here's a good example. Some of you listening to this, you probably were furloughed or you were let go from a job over the last, you know, six months or so. 
And that sucks. What if that, you know, let's call it $50,000 that you have put away in these retirement accounts was actually paying you some money each month. So you got a $1,200 stimulus check from the government, right? Well, what if you got a $1,200 check every single month from that money that you've put away? That's the difference between cash flow and accumulation. So when you're accumulating money in these traditionally savings vehicles of mutual funds, index funds, ETFs, whatever, or savings accounts, what you're basically doing is you're you're growing this asset, but you can't actually leverage it and you can't get cash flow from it, which really offsets your expenses, which is probably more important than anything else. So if we go back to this example of I want a million dollars in the bank, two things. Number one, if you have a million dollars in the bank, the the savings account that I use, it's a 0.4% interest rate right now. It's because interest rates are very low overall. So this is tied to the prime rate of interest rates. So 0.4%. So 40% of 1% essentially is is what I get. And this is and that's pretty high for a savings account. Now, if you were to take, let's say you had $100,000 and you put that $100,000 into that account, the inflation is about 1.4 to 1.6% per year. So let's just take 1.4 because this will make it really simple for us. You're basically losing 1% of the value or the buying power of that money every single year. So if you just have $100,000 in an account, it's going to go down in buying power by $1,000 or 1% of the value every single year just by sitting there. Even though it's getting a return of 0.4%, it's going down via inflation by 1.4%. So a whole percent down. If you have a million dollars, it goes down by $10,000 in buying power every single year. So if you're just sitting on that, over the course of 10 years, that million dollars is now, the buying power is at $900,000 instead of a million because of the inflation and the loss of what you can actually buy with that money, which is continually um, being devalued. So as you look at this, you know this idea of, oh, if I have a million dollars, cool, then I can put it in this asset that's gonna give me a 5% return or even a 4% return. And, and I'll have, you know, $50,000 or so per year that I can live off of. That's the traditional approach is accumulate and then live off of the interest from this bolus of money that you've put away. But for you to get to the point where you can save a million dollars, it was going to take a long, long time, right? It's going to take a lot of discipline. It's going to take a really, really long time. So the other approach to look at from that is, well, how can you get that same amount, let's call it $4,000 a month, meeting close to that $50,000 a year mark that would be coming off of that million dollars of accumulated money. And not, not to go too down the rabbit hole, but the way that that income is going to be classified coming off of the million dollars that you have and the interest you're gaining off of that typically is going to be taxed as ordinary income, or maybe it's taxed as a dividend and capital gains, but it's going to be taxed um, as, as income. So it's not like it's not taxed, right? Now, if you were to look at this a different way and look at the cash flow side, there's really two places that the average person can start to increase their cash flow. Number one is in a business. So we talk about 
starting a business, starting a side hustle, making yourself so valuable in the business that you're in that they bring you in as a partner or a profit share to where you're able to make more money and not actually have it completely tied to what you're doing as a clinician. This is cash flow from a business. So if you have a business and you don't necessarily actively have to be doing everything, that's passive cash flow, non-active cash flow every single month that's going into your account without you having to put in an hour for, in exchange for whatever it is that your hourly rate is or your you know your amount that your salary is. So keep that in mind, how you're earning the income, actively and passively or non-actively, right? So a business allows you to create cash flow that you can build systems into, hire employees, set it up in a way where it makes money even if you're not there, all right? The reason why so many private equity firms, private equity is just companies that pull together a bunch of resources from individuals and sometimes companies and hedge funds, but a bunch of cash and they go out and they buy companies. They invest in companies for equity positions in those companies because they want the cash flow from that. They may want an exit, you know, and they might want to try to run it up and, and then sell it. Uh, but more than anything, oftentimes they're looking for cash flow. Is this cash flowing? Are we going to have returns on this to pay our investors? So it's a very valuable thing. Business is the number one place. The second place traditionally is real estate. And real estate is one of those things that um, it's not very, it's nothing, it's nothing sexy. You know, it's, it's kind of boring. Um, there's a lot of information to learn about it. The barrier to entry is kind of high. You got to get your hands dirty. You know, it's not as simple as I just put this autopilot investment, you know, $500 a month goes into my whatever account and I don't have to even think about it. Um, you do actually have to be more actively involved, but simple. If we're looking at the math, you can create cash flow via real estate as well. So when we look at cash flow versus accumulation, accumulation is the idea of generating a bunch of money, putting it away, and then eventually one day having enough to where you can live off of that. This is traditional retirement 101 approach, right? When we look at cash flow, cash flow is how can you get your monthly cash flow, money coming in without you again actively being tied to that for a one-to-one -one exchange to meet or exceed your monthly expenses, right? So let's say the same scenario, we want to get to where we're at $4,000 a month. We can have that that's getting spit off via interest, via whatever investment it is that you're putting that in. And also, maybe there's some risk associated with that. There's going to be risk associated with basically any sort of investment. We were looking for the least amount of risk possible in, in, in the case that, you know, when, when we invest, we want the least amount of risk humanly possible, if not a guarantee of what is going to be returned. So if we want to get to $4,000 a month, we have a million dollars in accumulation. That's one path. The other path is, well, how can we generate $4,000 a month of passive income? Well, we talked about business. Can you grow your business to a point where you can remove yourself, set it up, and it still generates a net of $4,000 per month for you without actively um, being involved or maybe slightly involved, um, you know, in some sort of role as an advisor or something like that. For sure. That's definitely possible. Many people do that with their businesses and are able to sell their business if they want to do that, or they hold on to it <clears throat> and they can just have cash flow in perpetuity, which really is a very rare thing. It's something that you can get in business. You can get in, in real estate. Now, if you take the same example, but look at the real estate side, 
you just have to look at, well, how much money more are you getting from the property in rent than what it costs you to uh, buy it, right? And we're not buying it outright. This is the interesting thing with this strategy is it's leveraged, okay? So you need, you know, 20 to 25% of the cost of a house to, uh, as a down payment, to be able to actually uh, buy that house. The bank leverages, gives you the rest, you put 20 to 25% down. So in the same scenario, let's say we have a $200,000 house, okay? So you would need $40,000 if it's 20% of that to be able to afford to buy that house and the, if the bank approves you, of course. So $40,000 down, and let's say you can get a 10% return on your cash, which would be $4,000 per year. So if we take your down payment of $40,000 and we look at your rent, if you can get a positive on your rent that equates to $4,000 per year, you divide that by the amount it took you to get the house, which is $40,000. So 4,000 divided by 40, that's a 10% return on your money, right? So the percentage aside, you're now generating $4,000 per year from this asset, right? From $40,000 in an asset. So if we were to get to that same $4,000 per month, you're basically going to need to get 10 to 12 properties to be able to get to the same place as you would if you needed a million dollars to accumulate to then have interest being spit off it. So if we do rough math, let's just say it's 10 properties, that's $400,000 cash in in comparison to a million dollars of cash accumulated for the same amount of cash flow that is coming off of that investment. I'm going to hopefully this, this makes sense. Cause this is, this was a huge, uh, information, like piece of information for me to actually understand was that I could take less than half the amount of actual money and put it into an asset that I do have some, some amount of active work with, but it generates cash for me every single month that accumulates to meet or exceed my monthly expenses with about half as much money as the true accumulation side where I'm just putting this into, you know, uh, mutual funds and waiting until I have enough to start drawing interest down. Because as soon as you start touching the principal, and this is where it gets really sketchy. Let's say somebody has that million dollars to say they're 60 years old. Well, number one, they don't know how long they're going to live. They don't know what kind of medical expenses they're going to have. What if they have to dip into their, uh, their accumulated earnings? Now, all of a sudden the interest off of that goes down as well. If you go from a million down to 800, now you're talking about the same percentage of $800,000 versus a million. And this is what creates so much stress for people as they get older with retirement savings, because you don't know it's an unknown number. It's an, there's an unknown amount of expenses and, and you're just not sure, right? Versus what if you just knew, Hey, I have this much money coming in per month on average, every single month, whether you're doing something or not. And historically, it goes up at a minimum meeting inflation, hard assets, like a, like a, like a house go up at a minimum, the same amount as inflation. Here's the other thing associated with that. You have tax advantages and real estate that you do not get with mutual funds. Like I said, your income gets taxed as ordinary income in most cases, or as capital gains, depending on how you, you sell things or the interest that you're taking or the vehicle that it's invested in with the accumulation side. So that can be 
pretty high, as high as, you know, I think it's top bracket is 38% federal, depending on your state as well. Um, my state is 6%. So if I'm in the top bracket of earners, I'm at 44% uh, of any dollar that I, that I make or, or take from that, from that interest. That's a lot. That's on the top end. Let's just say it's in the middle. That's 24% or 20. Yeah. 24%. So basically a quarter of everything that you bring out, you have to pay in, in taxes. And you know, this is assuming that you haven't already paid income on that. That's less than a Roth IRA setting. Assume you've already paid taxes on the way in. You, you're, you're going to take that, that money tax free on the way out. If it's a 401k, you haven't paid taxes on it. You're going to have to pay taxes on it on the way uh, on the way out, right? But any interest you earn off of that, any investment vehicle you put that in, there's still taxes associated with, with real estate on the cash flow side. You have something called depreciation, which essentially is it's phantom deductions that you get to take as the asset that you have on paper deteriorates over time. You depreciate it. It's like a piece of equipment in your business. So if I have this piece of equipment that over time it's it, it's it's shelf life essentially of using it. Uh, it has a set amount of time. You depreciate that over time, but that decreases how much money on paper you've actually made from this asset. So your taxable amount from the revenue from that asset is actually less than if you accumulate wealth and then you take income off of interest earned from that. That is where it, it gets really interesting because not only can you say, all right, well, I can have less money in, half as much money in to generate the same amount of cash flow, but that same cash flow that I get, I'm actually going to keep more of it because of the way that that income is classified and taxed. And taxes for most people are the biggest expense that they they have, especially the biggest expense that they have some say over having to pay, right? And the way that they are able to uh, to do that. So if you look at the tax code and the way that it's structured, it's heavily incentivized on the real estate side and has been so for quite some time. So as we look at, you know, this other direction, so is it a business that you are able to build? I think the best thing to do is go into business for yourself, start a side hustle, whatever it might be. Um, like I said, or, you know, work your way into a way with your company where you are uh, essentially in a business owner role where you can increase what you're making, take that active income and start putting it into resources that generate passive revenue or less active revenue so that your active income flows into passive income. As that passive income grows to meet and or exceed what your monthly expenses are, you have essentially financial freedom because you can choose to do what you want at that point. You know, and this is, uh, it's interesting to say, I want to do this versus I have to do this, right? Like I want to see patients versus I have to see patients. You know, I, you know, whatever your business is, whatever it is that you want to do. I have plenty of friends, especially friends that are in like software sales, things where they make good money. I had a conversation with one of my friends um, last week about this exact topic. He's in software sales. He makes really good money. He works his freaking butt off. Like he works a ton of hours. Um, but, but you know, it's, it's, it's heavily incentive based. based off of commissions primarily. And he's good at what he does, but he doesn't want to do it forever. Or maybe he wants to do less of it. And this is exactly where he's like, we were literally talking about this exact topic and he's doing the same thing. He's taking his active income, which gets taxed like crazy. And he's moving it over to non-active, uh, assets that generate passive revenue that's taxed at a different uh, classification. 
and he has a physical asset that both appreciates, he can depreciate it, and he gets cash flow uh, from it as well. Worst case scenario, he's got a house he can move into. If every if the shit hits the fan, he at least has a property he can he can move into. So, you know, for for me, uh, this is something that was hard change for me to make. You know, and I was very adamant about. Nope, this is what so and so says. Dave Ramsey says this, and this is what this person says, and and. What, what I started to realize was all of my friends that I was meeting in these entrepreneur groups that I was in, none of them followed any of that information at all. <laughs> they were all doing different things than what the traditional advice is out there, which most of us have been told, accumulate, put it away, let compounding interest take its, you know, take its course, you know, diversify and make sure you're in these different mutual funds. And, you know, I mean, it is what it is. It's, it's, it's better than not saving anything at all, for sure. But when we look at, you know, true uh, financial independence, it really comes down to, do you have money coming in that offsets your expenses every single month? And if you do, then all of a sudden you get a chance to say, well, cool, I don't really like doing this. I really like this more. I'm going to go ahead and change careers or I'm going to work less or, you know, I'm going to work part-time so that I can spend more time with my kids or whatever it is that you want to do. You have a a safety net of revenue that's coming in that allows you to take that chance on that thing that you really want to do. So when, you know, when you start looking at finances and where your money's going, I want you to really think about this in terms of cash flow and accumulation. Okay. Which one are you, um, practicing? Hopefully one of the two, you know, uh, that you're doing something to, uh, to, to increase your, your, you know, positive financial position. Um, but I do want you to, you know, think about, think about cash flow, think about accumulation, think about which one sounds better to you. Um, I know for me, the route that I've gone has essentially, that's it, it's business and real estate. And it's because they both generate cash flow, And I have a lot of control over what they do, over what happens, over, you know, where I buy something, what my company uh, does, you know, how we spend cash resources that we have, how we reinvest in that, what people that we hire, you know, how much we charge for rent, what improvements we do to a property, all these things we have direct control over, which isn't complete control over everything, but much, much more than just giving Vanguard all your money and literally diversifying it across the entire spectrum of companies that are out there. Um, I think you can do much better if you are willing to learn and take your, you know, financial education into your own hands versus just being lazy about it and handing it off to somebody else, which is what I did for, for so many, uh, you know, for so many years. So hopefully not everybody fell asleep <laughs> during that. I think that, um, you know, this is something, like I said, you might want to listen to more than once. You might want to take some notes. You might want to write down some of these examples, um, you know, in terms of, of what I'm talking about. And, um, you know, for, for, for me, you know, this is something that I wish somebody would have told me years ago and that I would have been ready to hear it and understand it. Some of you may not be ready for that. You might just be like, dude, I just got a ton of student loans. Like I'm not even interested in talking about cash flow versus accumulation. <laughs> well, it's the same. We just talked about cash flow and looking at cash flow with your student loans. So understanding the concept of cash flow and how it applies to you, both, you know, investments as well as debts that you have is really important to understand. So, you know, the fastest way to pay off your student loans is increase your cash flow so you can put more of it towards your student loans, right? The people that we see that pay their loans off the fastest 
they're financially disciplined, but they just make a lot more money than they spend. Uh, most of that comes from starting their own business or a side hustle. So there we go. We're back. We're back in the business conversation. And then once they do that, they're, they have all this discipline of throwing all this money towards their debt. Now they start socking it away into, you know, savings accounts. And then from there, they either just leave it there and accumulates, or they're able to leverage that into something that's going to, you know, produce more cash flow for them. And ideally that's the direction that they go. They make a smart investment with a, you know, solid professional that can help them uh, pick the right properties, understand what to do or invest in another business. If that's what they decide to do, um, you know, start another business with somebody, if that's what they decide to do, these are no different. It's just cash flow in different arenas. It's either in business or it's within, you know, a real estate, um, you know, transaction of some sort. So make sure you keep your eye on what's important. Think about how awesome it would be if whatever your monthly expenses were, were coming in with something that required, you know, some of your time, but not a ton. And that's cash flow. That's, that's, the importance of the idea of financial independence of your cash flow meeting or exceeding your monthly expenses. For me, the path has been business, business spits off more, uh, you know, profit than what we spend that gets put into, uh, investments that are in real estate that generate passive cash flow, And that passive cash flow grows to where it meets and exceeds our monthly expenses. Um, so there you go investment lesson for the week. Again, if you guys like these, you want to learn more about this, like I said, Jared and I, and Jared is a much more accomplished real estate investor than I am. Um, we're interested in, in, uh, just doing some more topic based conversations on just investing in general and just money in general. We get a lot of questions about it. Um, from our mastermind members, we get a lot of questions about it just from people in general. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it, the thing within, with money and information like this is, <clears throat> I don't know why the average person doesn't, um, doesn't get financial education, like actual solid financial education. Uh, maybe they don't care, but maybe no one's really taking the time to explain it to them. And maybe they don't care for you to know in some cases, <laughs> you know, like people make a lot of money off of mutual funds, make a, like the companies that sell those make a ton of money off of that. You know, there's a lot of money wrapped up in that aside from like, your money, but the amount of money that those companies make off of you is insane. It's it, there's it's so much. So there's a lot of reasons why people would want to market that as being, uh, you know, the way to go. And it's also easier for companies to set something like that up than it is a pension, you know, or to talk to their employees about this stuff and where they should be putting their money. So keep that in mind. Like, are are you being sold to or are you being educated? there's a difference. So if you're being sold to, so you can put your money into something that somebody's going to make a lot more money off of, you need to know that if you're being educated, there's a difference. I'm just educating you on this. I will make $0 off of you doing any of this stuff. All right. I, this is just the way that I found that is the most tried and true way of actually creating financial independence. Um, and it takes work. <laughs> this isn't a, Hey, you do this for a year and, and all of a sudden you're good to go. This is like a, you know, 10, 20 year strategy for most people, um, to where they're, they're trying to go. But I mean, dude, if, if you're in your mid twenties, you, you could, you could be in a great spot by the time that you're in your mid thirties to early forties and intentionally working towards something instead of just blindly socking money away. So hopefully this makes sense. Take a screenshot of this, share it with me on Instagram, tag me in it. If you like it, um, we'll, we'll uh, keep track of it and make sure that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll put out more information you guys like, if nobody likes this, don't tag me, uh, <laughs> in it on Instagram and I'll get that message as well. So as always, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. 
Hey, wait a minute. Just to let you guys know, we are closing in on 200 views on iTunes. That's crazy. Most podcasts hardly get to 100 views, let alone 200. And this is such a niche-specific PT business podcast. That's wild. So let's try to rally the troops and get to 200 reviews for this podcast. The first thing you need to do is you got to sub- subscribe to this sucker, whether it's on iTunes or any other platform that you're listening to on, so you know when new episodes are coming out. The next thing, make sure that you leave a review. I'd love to hear what you have to say. I read all of them. It means a lot to me. The next thing, guys, take a screenshot of whatever episode you're listening to and put it in your stories on Instagram and tag Tag me in it. That's at Danny Matei PT. If you do this, I will repost it. So you'll get a bump. I'll get a bump. We'll share this information with a lot more people because that's the goal, guys. We want to get this information in front of a lot more people. So take a screenshot, share it on Instagram stories, tag me in it, and I will repost it. So here we go. Let's try to get to 200 reviews for the podcast. Thanks for listening.